Have you ever been in a situation where you had a friend with you and they influenced you to do something that you know is wrong? That you know you shouldn't do. Your hands are already going up. Me! Just happened like this morning. So, um, so, yes, we've all been there. We've had friends, friends influence us and it's gonna we know it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt that night it's gonna hurt in the morning it ain't it's not the right thing but they get us to take that step in a wrong direction when I was 20 years old I went to South Padre Island Texas for spring break so I I went there from um, South Dakota took a road trip for about 24 hours and um, when we got there no one had to influence me and my friend who were 20 years old to take our student ID and adjust the date on there to make it look like we're 21. See, no one had to influence us to do that. But once we got to South Padre and then walked across the border into Mexico, um, my friend, we had a friend with us who was 21 and then me and my friend who were 20. So the guy who's 21 is influencing us and saying, hey, we should take, we should take some souvenirs back across the border into Texas. And we're like, well, what do you think we should take? And he said, well, what about some tequila? And I thought, well, I guess we could do that. You know, Mexico straight up, authentic tequila. You know, the kind with the worm in it. You ever ate the worm? Yeah, this is Meadows Church. There's probably a lot of you that have ate the worm, I'm guessing. So, um, but, so we're like, you know, everybody, you can take two bottles back. That's like the max. That's the rule they had. And I'm like, can't you just take two? You're 21. I, do we really want to chance it at the border with the authorities? I mean, come on. But he's like, no, we need six. Two's not enough. We need six. So he influences me and my friend to grab our bottles, and here we are going across the border. And I, I, I can still see the guy that we met, the, guy, the, um, the, I don't know, the authorities, the border patrol, whatever you want to call it, dark hair, hat, huge, huge dark mustache. And he's looking, he grabs my, fun, my friend's ID, and he's 21, so he's fine. And then when I give my student ID, and uh, I'm sitting there like this, and he looks at it, and I'll never forget, he's like, is this correct? And I said, see. <laughs> From there, it went completely downhill. <laughs> so he grabs my friend's ID, looks at his, just like he looked at mine with that look, like we are screwed. And he grabs me and my friend, walks us over to um, a little tiny bathroom. And he says, why don't you guys go ahead and pour out your tequila? And I was like, what? So yeah, so we're on our knees pouring out this tequila, worm and all. I'm like, bye, little guy. You know, this isn't how this is not supposed to end. But anyway, so we're dumping out two bottles each. And we get done. And I'm kind of freaking out because, like, are we going to get arrested? What's going to happen? So we dump them all out. We get done. And, and this is what he does. The guy comes up to us. He says, all right, you guys, all right, you guys can go ahead and go across. And then he says, here's your ID back. I'm like, what? We're, we get it back? I mean, if you're dumb enough to give it to us back, we're dumb enough to use it again. We know that. So he gave us our ID back, and we walked across. I, I thought we were going to be in huge trouble. We got in some trouble, lost our tequila, of course. But I'll never forget that moment. I knew, we were, I knew in my heart that we were going to get busted. I just knew it. And, uh, but we did it anyway because we were influenced. And it wasn't all him, obviously. We made the final decision. But my point is this. The, who we're connected to matters, right? Who, you, maybe you've heard, heard this saying, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You become the average of the five closest friends. I've, I've read that in books that have been written 50 years ago. And it's still being written today. I think it's probably changed, though. Most people don't have five close friends, honestly. They don't. The average American has two close friends. 25% of Americans, zero close friends. So I don't, the five thing has gone down. And, and there's reasons for that. But, I, but I'm telling you something, that our connections matter big time. There's a poverty happening in our nation. 
And you might hear poverty, you're thinking, oh, well, there's poor people, and yeah, like, there is that, but I'm not talking about that kind of poverty. I'm talking about a relational poverty. A lack of intimate relationships. More connected than ever, but yet more lonely than ever. You've heard this before. I'm, I'm, some of you are like, you already get it because you've heard it, you've, you've experienced it. But who you do hang out with, those two closest friends, those five closest friends, they do influence you big time. They have an impact. They, they influence your morals, your decisions, your, your, your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual passion. They influence every area of your life. That's why it's so key that we're connected to people that want to lift us up. But when I talk about connections, say connection. Connection's a big deal. Connections have changed. Haven't they? Like, I don't have my phone up here, but if I did, I'd show it to you and I'd say, on our cell phones, see, we used to just talk through those. Do you know that? Like, I know it's nuts now. That some of you are like, what? You actually speaking that thing to somebody? I know. It, it, that's how it used to be. In fact, there was a time that's all you could do. Some of you are like, what is that? Some sort of a modem? Or yeah, This is a telephone, okay? I know, it's nuts. It's crazy. But this is, this is a, phone, a home phone, what they used to look like. And you didn't, you didn't, no typewriter here, right? No computer screen here. You just pick it up and you're talking to somebody. But there were advantages. If you've never been able to use a home phone like this, you've missed out on something. Can I tell you what it was? You've missed out on the opportunity to truly hang up on somebody. And I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can't, I mean, it's awesome. You get in a fight and you're like, oh, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, I'm wrong. No, you're wrong. And finally, you're like, you've had it. You're like, ah, and they knew you hung up on him. And then if you're really ticked off, you're like, ah, ah, ah. you're like, you're going to let them know it. That's See, that's therapy for me. That, you, we didn't go to psychiatrists back in this day. We beat our phones up. I mean, that's what you do. Ah! But now, now if you're mad at somebody, it's like, mm, take that, and you hang up. They don't even know you hung up on them. They're calling you back. Hey, we got disconnected. No, we didn't. I hung up on you. We didn't get disconnected. I mean, but there are, and you used to have to know phone numbers. I mean, now someone asks my number, I'm like, a blabbering idiot, uh, uh, let me check my phone. I don't have a clue what my phone number is. But you asked me my phone number when I was seven years old, I'll tell you what it was. 605-528-2288. Asked me my phone number when I was 11 years old and we moved from the country into the town, into the city, the, the, the city. I remember my number growing up, 605-425-2352. I just know, though, but I don't know them anymore. It's different. This girl that I knew, Jenny, I'll never forget her number. It's like 8675. Uh, yes, you knew Jenny, too. She got around. Anyway, so, um, Jenny, <laughs> yes, you knew the number, but the number. Now we get ticked off if our phone even rings, don't we? Who's calling my cell phone? How dare you call me? Text me. You don't call me. You know what ticks me off? I call somebody. The voicemail has not been set up. You've had the phone for 12 years. You haven't set up your voicemail? Or worse yet, the voicemail's full. Clear your voicemail, Jody. <laughs> anyway, so connection has changed. What the tech companies will want you to believe when it comes to um, our, our, our devices that we use so much today. They want you to believe that you can truly stay connected to somebody through that. Now, technology can enhance a relationship, but it can't replace it. It cannot do it. So I know they want you to believe it can, but the truth is authentic connection can't happen through that. It can't. I wrote it down. Technology can't replace relationships. 
And if you think that it will, and if you try to live through a device or through a screen or through a keyboard, I promise you what you'll find is this. You will be living for likes, but you'll still find yourself longing for love. You will. I promise. I see it all the time. And I felt it in my own life. So what are we going to do? This is something different. I'm going to give you one of the main points. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Okay, haven't even got into scripture yet? We will. But hear this. The series we're in is called One Decision Away. You are one connection away from changing the direction of your life forever. I believe it with all my heart. I'll show it to you. You are one connection away from changing the direction of your life forever. But for that connection to really take heart and take you where God wants you to take you, that connection has to be real. We have to get real. Turn to two people and say, let's get real. Tell two people, let's get real. Let's get real. We're going to get real today. We're going to get raw today. So if you brought a Bible or you got the mobile app, either one of those we love, want to give you that. I want to give you the Bible if you need one. 1 Samuel 20. So 1 Samuel, it's right, actually, if you're looking for it in the Old Testament, where it's at, it's right before 2 Samuel. Does that help? Anyway, so, uh, so 1 Samuel, let me set it up as you're going there or clicking there to get there. 1 Samuel 20, David is on the scene. He is not the king. The king is Saul. Saul's the first king of Israel. And David has really got some notoriety. You know why? Because he's taken down a giant. He has just slayed a giant. Remember the giant's name? Yeah, Goliath, right. All the other Israelites were freaked out about Goliath, right? They were scared of the giant. They had what you would call uh, fee-fi-phobia. Anyway, so uh, they were, they, it scared them. So, but David killed the giant. And all of a sudden, David's getting this notoriety. And Saul says, David, you're a warrior. And he starts sending David out in battles. And David is slaying the enemy. And he's coming back and he's getting the attention of the people. And Saul, the king, didn't like it. So Saul sees David getting more attention than him, but he has, the, he, has the, he has the position, he has the platform, right? He has the title, but just because you have the title doesn't mean you have God's anointing. See, just because that you, you have been put on some platform when it comes to what the world offers doesn't mean God's going to bless it. God's blessing was off of Saul, and it had moved on to, on to David. It had. Now, Saul was still the king, but David had the anointing. So Saul's ticked off at David. He's like, all the people are cheering you. All the people are loving you. So Saul wants to kill him. In fact, Saul tries to kill him. Throws a spear at him, misses him, and David freaks out, as any of us would. That's where we pick it up in the first verse. 1 Samuel 20. Check this out. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. David's friend. Okay, you can see the tension here. He's like, Jonathan, dude, what have I done? He exclaimed, what is my crime? How have I offended your dad that he's trying to kill me? Listen to what Jonathan says. That's not true. You're not going to die. My dad tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know him. He wouldn't hide something like this. It just isn't so. How many times does somebody that we're really close to, they're almost... They're almost in denial of something that's going on right ahead of them because they don't want to believe it. Sometimes that happens in our family or with a close friendship. We kind of do this because we don't want to believe that that could be real. Jonathan doesn't want to believe that his dad is some raging psychopath that is ultimately a murderer. But David presses in. David's like, listen to me. We took an oath. 
your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has basically said this. He said, I'm not going to tell my, my son. Why do I want to hurt him? But, but Jonathan, I swear to you, I'm only one step away from dying. He's coming after me. I swear by the Lord, by your own soul. And then Jonathan, something clicks. And he says, okay, okay, okay. Tell me what I can do to help. What can I do? And David says in verse 8, excuse me, verse 5, David says, tomorrow we're going to celebrate the New Moon Festival. We do it every year. I've always eaten with your dad, the king, on this occasion. But tomorrow, David says, I'm going to hide in a field. I'm going to stay there until evening of the third day. i got to pause for a second. So you're going to lay in a field for three days? I mean, that sounds a lot like camping. Scares the heck out of me. So anyway, so he is just going to hang out in the field for three days. If your dad asks where I'm at, tell him I asked permission to go home to Bethlehem for some family sacrifice. Now, if your dad, if, if, if Saul says, oh, that's cool, that's fine then we'll know he's not wanting to kill me. He's cool. He's, he's calmed down. It's over. But if he's angry and loses his temper, then we know. Then we'll know. If he goes crazy, we know he's determined to kill me. Okay? He says, show me this loyalty, Jonathan, please. For we made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or just kill me yourself and get it over with. But don't betray me to him. Jonathan says, never. Jo David, never. You know that if I had the slightest notion that my dad was planning to kill you, I'd tell you at once. So verse 10, David basically says, okay, so how are we going to know? What's the plan? How will we know whether your father is angry or not? And in the next few verses, they hatch this plan. It, it, it's kind of weird, but this is what they say. Uh, David and Jonathan basically tell each other, if your dad reacts in a way that he goes nuts, and I know that he's still mad at you and wants to kill you, I'll do this. You'll be laying out in the field, and I'm going to shoot three arrows out in the field right, right next to you. Now, this is, now, if I was doing this, I guarantee if I shot those arrows, they'd probably kill David. Go right through him. I mean, just it wouldn't be a good plan for me. But they're probably better archer than I am. So he says, I'll shoot the arrows in the field, and I'll have a young boy go get the arrows. And if I tell the boy, hey, the arrows are over to the side. If I say that, that means your dad's cool. He didn't overreact. He's not mad. He ain't going to kill you. But... If your dad went nuts, and I know he wants to kill you, I'll tell the kid, hey, keep running. The arrows are still ahead of you. If I say the arrows are still ahead of him, and I tell the boy to keep running after them, you'll know. Basically, that's your sign. Get moving. My dad wants to kill you. Got it, got it. So sure enough, that's how it plays out. The, David's in the field. First day, uh, Saul shows up. Where's David? Oh, yeah, he's gone. Mm, Saul doesn't do much. Second day, though, they come back for this continued festival, Saul says, hey, Jonathan, where's, David ain't here again. And, 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 and Jonathan's like, nope, nope, he's gone, he's gone back to Bethlehem. And sure enough, Saul goes ballistic. He goes crazy. Like, I'm not even going to tell you, like, I, you know me, I'll pretty much say it like it is. What he called his son, you got to read it this week. It's unbelievable what he said to his own son, but he was that enraged. And he goes crazy. And Jonathan's like, dad, settle down. What are you talking about? What are you doing? And he is so mad, he says, go get David. I want to kill him. And Jonathan pushes back more. And, and, and Saul goes so crazy, he grabs a spear and tries to kill his own son. At that point, Jonathan's like, dude, you whacked, all right? You're crazy. So he steps away. He grieves a little bit because he knows his dad is off. He knows his dad is, has really gone off the deep end. And he knows he's going to kill his best friend, David. So at the next day, he does what he said. He goes out to the field with the boy. Shoots his arrows out in the field. The boy goes running after them. And sure enough, Jonathan says, keep going. They're farther. And as soon as David heard that, he knew. Saul's coming after me. It, it's on. 
And listen to what he says. It's verse 41. As soon as the boy was gone, so the boy went and grabbed the arrows, brought him back to Jonathan. And as soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he'd been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them are in tears. They embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. So there's a gut-wrenching reaction here to know that this could possibly be the last time that we ever interact. And now I'm on the run from your dad who wants to kill me. I'm telling you, this connection between David and Jonathan was huge. See, you're one connection away from changing the, the direction of your life forever. You're one connection away. That connection to Jonathan would save David. If he wasn't connected, if they weren't authentic, if they weren't real, and that's why there's two things you need to know that we're, we're looking at for a true authentic connection. The number one thing to know that it's authentic, to know that it's real, say real. Real. Are you real? Will you get real with me? Will you be truthful with me? Say truth. Truth. They've got to tell you the truth. Remember in verse 2? You think Jonathan wanted to hear his dad was a psycho? He didn't, but David told him because they speak the truth to each other. Do you think David wanted to hear that, that, that his dad got mad again and was going to kill him? David didn't want to hear that, but he had to hear that so he could be safe. They told each other the truth. See, we need people in our lives to tell us the truth, especially when we don't want to hear it. That's a connection you want to keep. When you don't want to hear it and they'll tell you anywhere, well, you know what we call those kind of friends? We call them booger friends. Don't make me elaborate. You know what I'm talking about. They'll tell you. They won't leave it hanging, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Turn to your neighbor, look at them, say you're good. Turn to your neighbor, unless they're not good, then tell them. My gosh, be a friend. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. And I speak from experience, unfortunately. But going out and meeting somebody, having a beautiful lunch together, maybe getting to know them, building a relationship, and you felt like, gosh, that went really well. They looked at me kind of weird, but that went really well. And then you get in your car, and you're getting ready to go, and you glance in the rearview mirror, you're like, oh, my, no! Say it isn't so. Why wouldn't anybody tell me? God, why have you forsaken me? There it is. Jody and I, we always have a little thing. I do it more than her. But we go out and eat, and I say, Jody, check my teeth. You know, I, I make her check for pepper. Because one time I found a piece of pepper the size of a Volkswagen bug in my teeth, and I'm like, that can't happen, okay? So we do a pepper check, don't we? We, we check for pepper. Anyway, you got to have a pepper friend, a booger friend. You know what I'm saying. So you got to see, I love scripture. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What does that mean? So sharpening is hurtful. It can be hurtful. There's tension. There's friction. See, the truth can hurt. But the truth from somebody that cares about you, understand this. The person that's speaking truth in your life, you need to make sure of one thing. That they love Jesus more than they love you. That's key. They need to love Jesus more than they love you. If they do, they will speak truth to you in a way that might hurt in a moment. It's going to sharpen in a moment, but, but then it'll leave you better. This is, this is what they did for each other. David and Jonathan said some hard things to each other, but it made them better. Who do you have that's going to do that in your life? Who is that friend for you? Make sure they love Jesus more than they love you. They're speaking the truth. And then make sure they're speaking it in love. So truth and love, straight out of Paul writing to the book in Eph or the church in Ephesus. He says, speak the truth in love. Who will do that in your life? Speaking the truth in love. For love, I wrote this down. A friend, this is love. A friend that encourages you and grows your faith. See, that's true love. 
Love is way more than a feeling. It's way more than just a little fuzzy feeling. It is somebody that will encourage you, lift you up, and help you grow closer to God. That's love. Do you know that David and Jonathan actually met one more time that we know of after that encounter in the field where they hugged and said goodbye? It's a few chapters later in 1 Samuel 23. Let me read it to you. It's 15 through 17. One day near Haresh, David received news that Saul was still on his way to search for him to kill him. So nothing has changed there. Jonathan went to find David. I have to find my friend. I have to tell him. I have to warn him. I have to be there for him. I have to love him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him, there it is, to stay strong in his faith in God. Stay strong in your faith. Don't give up. Stay strong in your faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan says. My father will never find you. I love what he says next. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will sit beside you, just like our father, just like my father Saul knows. I love that statement. You'll be the king. See, David knew he was anointed to be the next king. He wasn't the next king yet. Saul still was. I wonder in running through caves and hiding in fields and mountains, I wonder if David got to a point that he even forgot that he was anointed king. I bet he did. All he is is some guy on the run trying to save his life, trying not to die. That's all I am. And he for probably forgot about that anointing, that truth that, that was spoken over his life. So a friend named Jonathan comes in and reminds him of this truth. Listen, David, you are going to be the king of Israel. David's like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm barely, I'm just trying to get by. I'm living in I'm living in mountains, I'm hiding. No, 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 you are going to be the king of Israel, and don't you forget it. Have you ever had somebody speak truth over you? You're not in a position for it. It, it doesn't line up with how you're living, but they, the moment they speak it, it does something to you. It like infiltrates your whole being saying, you know what? My pastor will do that to me. You know what he says to me? It's crazy because the church I got saved at in Sioux Falls, church of thousands and thousands of people, huge church, probably over 20,000 people have come to know Christ through that church. You know what he says? He looks me in the eye and he says this to me, and he's been doing this for ever since we launched Meadows. He says, Monty, God's hand is on you, and your church and, and, and Meadows is going to do greater things than, than, than even is happening here. Says it to me all the time. It's almost, la I mean, I think, gosh, he, God is doing great things. But, but, but I can't almost fathom that. But he says it to me so often, I believe it now. And now I'm expecting it. Like, I expect God to move in a mighty way. I expect people to come. I expect the Holy Spirit to fall on you and in you and change your life and change your family and change your entire dynamic. I expect it because I keep hearing it of how God wants to do that. When you hear it, it changes something in you. I tell my leaders all the time, love assumes the best. It's hard to lead people. If, you, if you're in the people business, you know that. You know, they're always late. Oh, they're always talking back. Oh, they never learn. But if you keep telling yourself that, you, love assumes the best. Always assume the best. Uh, when you believe the best about other people, it brings about the best in other people. Okay? I'll say it a different way. Believing the best in people brings out the best in people. Will you believe the best? Jonathan believed the best. You will be the king of Israel. You are God's anointed. God is going to use you to save a nation and change the world. And you hear that enough, you start to believe it. You believe the best about others. It will bring about the best in others. That's why you encourage them. You love them and you point them to God. This is what you do. That's what you want in your life. You should. Wrap people around you like that. 
right? Instead of hanging out with people that like put down your dreams, wrap yourself around people that lift you up. That, 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 that encourage you, that believe in you, that tell you that you matter. When you wrap yourself around people like that, I promise you, God will use those people to change your story. He will use them to pour into you, use them to, to, to lift you up. It's what he did with Jonathan and David. Sometimes, as a pastor, I will tell you that people, they'll just confess to me sometimes. Like, if they find out I'm a pastor, they'll, it, they'll just, they don't even know me. I could be checking out at, like, the come and go. It's like, hey, you know, I'm grabbing my Coke and Snickers or whatever, and, find, you know, making small talk. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Clerk's like, you're a pastor? Yeah. I smoked some weed this morning. I'm like, what? You smoked weed this morning? Well, okay, all right, that's cool, you know. You got any? I'm just kidding. So, um, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. So, but I'll be like, you know, let me, I can pray, I, you know, check me out here, I'll pray for you, whatever. But they'll just tell me things. Recently, we had a gathering, and before anybody got there at this restaurant, I was there. Waitress comes up. We start, we start chatting, and, and uh, I love doing that. you got to start a conversation if you're going to reach somebody. That's key. So we, we're having this conversation, and she finds out, well, I'm telling her about the church, the crossover church that we're going to plant later this year, and she's in that area, and she's chatty, and I'm talking, I'm kind of getting excited, okay, she's really opening up, and I say, I'm, at, you know, I'm the pastor of the church that's helping plant it. She goes, oh, you're a pastor, and here's what, she goes, yeah, when I got, when I got out of high school, I started dancing, and I said, you did, and I'm thinking, I don't know, ballet or something, no, it wasn't ballet, it wasn't ballet. She's like, and, but then she's like, you know, I, was, I weighed like less than 100 pounds and I could really flip around that pole and do some great tricks. I said, could you? I said, okay, all right, yeah. But she's just, and she is just <laughs> laying it out there. And I thought to myself, how cool is it that somebody can feel that safe? Like, I, you know what? I, I, I kind of was like, yes, preach, tell me, I'll, whatever. I thought that's pretty awesome. That, that you can be that open with somebody knowing that, oh, okay, this must be a safe place. Do you know what it made me think about? It made me think about a few months ago when I had many of you that were here write down what's going on in your lives and you brought it to the cross. That's, what, that's immediately where I went to. I'll never forget. That, that was a life-changing moment for our church. The things I read, I mean, every addiction you can possibly think of, abuse, um, neglect, physical, sexual, so much stuff affairs what it's all and I'm like reading this I'll tell you something part of me when I read those and then I lit them up as an offering to God giving them to him I thought to myself how cool is it that this church is getting this vulnerable that they're putting it down and giving it to God but but on the other hand though part of me was kind of heartbroken because I know that many of you probably didn't feel safe enough to ever tell anybody that like like it's okay to write down and I'm glad we did but, but I want to get us to a point where we, we get around people that we're connected to, like Jonathan and David, where we can literally say, this is what's going on. I need help in this area. Will you pray for me without judging me? Will you just tell me the truth because you love me? Will you just love me because you believe the best in me? Will you do that? That's what I want to get to. I don't want to be, get to the point where it's already the end game. It's like, well, you know what? The marriage is over. Marriage is over? I didn't even know there was a problem. Well, they, they attempted suicide. They attempted suicide? I thought they were doing great. It's like, this has to be a church where we're okay to not be okay. I don't want to just stand on the, the stage and say, hey, it's okay to not be okay. I'm literally, look at me. I'm not okay in areas. 
I need your prayer, and you need mine, and we need each other. And the moment we can take off our mask and allow God to work in us, and we can put everything down and trust, you know, you're not going to trust everybody, but is there a one or a two or a three that you can trust, that you can go to and say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm looking at, this is what I've done, this is what's been done to me, this is where healing happens. It's so key. I, I met with a guy a few months ago. I'll never forget it. The only reason he reached out to me is because I was a pastor, kind of knew me, but not really. And we're having this conversation, and he's talking about how his life is completely blown up in front of him. And I asked him this question. I'll never forget the answer. I don't know why it shocks me. It still does. Maybe because we're part of a relational church, and I just want people to connect so desperately. But this is what I, and this guy from the outside would look successful. And he was, business-wise, family, had a family, had children. Had, had, I mean, you would think, okay, this guy's connected. <laughs> I asked, I mean, it was just, God was, it was, it was not good. And I said, who do you have in your life? I mean, I know you're meeting with me right now, but who, who's the one person you go to? And he looked me straight in the eyes, and this is what he said, nobody. I said, no, you've lived here how many years? You've done life here. I mean, it isn't like you just moved here last week. You have nobody? This is what he said to me. Didn't, didn't bat an eye. Nobody. Not one person. So this week, he actually calls me. Talk about God's timing and what we're preaching on today. So I tell him, you know what? I'm, I'm preaching about connection, about Jonathan and David, and how crucial it is that you and I connect, or that you connect with somebody that will love you and tell you the truth and encourage you. And here's what he told me. He said, he said, Monty, I wouldn't be where I am. And he's in a very bad place. God's working, but it's not good. And he said, the, one of the big reasons I'm where I'm at is because of that answer that day. I said, I got to tell the church that. Because you can hear me tell you about Bible scriptures and show you about Jonathan and David. But to hear a real life story and this guy tell you, that was the biggest mistake I ever made, he said. I didn't trust people. I didn't open up. I kept it all in. I kept it to myself. Didn't tell anybody. It's going to come out one way or another. I promise you. And I, I thought about that story. I'm like, I'll never forget it. Nobody. Who are you going to run to when something happens? He had to go to somebody. There was, he had no choice. It was forced into that situation. Now he's getting more connected than ever. Praise God for that. I just pray that God's going to resurrect some things that have died. Who do you go to? What if you got the call from the ER and the child's getting rushed to the ER? Like, who do you cling to? What about the affair that you find out about that you had no idea and you're just blindsided? Who do you call? The job that you've had for years, all of a sudden it's gone. They bring you in and the job's been eliminated. What? Eliminated? And your world is just, the, the diagnosis comes back and sure enough, the disease is there. It's the disease that supposedly just other people get but now it's in you or your family. Who are you going to go to? It, it's why I put it in your notes. And if it's not in your notes, I'll put it on the screen. Who do you need to connect to? Who you connect to? Who? What's the main point? You are one connection away. You are one connection away. Who will you connect to? My prayer is that you'll connect to something called for sure a life group, a small group. Now, if you're in a life group, praise God. But I have, I have something that I believe God wants me to share with you as well. Number one, if you haven't taken a step towards a life group, I pray you will today. 
There, there, there are cards in the back pouches, red cards, life group cards. There's a table out in the Welcome Center with all of them listed, with all the life group leaders' pictures. You can go down the pictures and be like, nah, that dude's weird. That person looks weird. That's, just, you can eliminate all of them right there. So, um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, who are you connected to? Life groups are the lifeblood of our church. I know that as Meadows grows and we're growing, did Casey share with you we set records? You tell him, Casey. We set records. I mean, 21 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ in January. In January. See, that's not going to stop. And as we grow, and we will, it's okay. Oh, big church. I promise you, it won't feel big if you're connected to a life group. The bigger we grow, the smaller we must become intimately. We have to. That's why I'm telling you, life groups, something supernatural happened in my life group this week. Can I tell you what it was? I can't give you too much de detail because the stuff's confidential in there, but I can share enough with you to tell you that life change is happening. We're in life group this week. At the end, we go around, and if you have a prayer request, you can throw it out there. And somebody speaks up, and she starts sharing personal things going on in her family. And we're listening and, you know, it's, we're taking it in. It's what she said afterwards that really got me. So she shares it. And then she says this. She says, you guys should feel privileged. She said, I've never shared what I just shared with, with you with anybody. And my heart just like, I was like, yes. Because I know breakthrough's happening. She's trusting people enough to step in and press in and share. And when you take that physical step of obedience, we've said this, spiritual healing will happen. She took a step of obedience and shared something she shared with nobody else. And I thought, God, yes, let's do this. So if you're in a life group, praise God. What I'm telling you, and I felt this so heavily from the Lord this week, is that you will, you will really get involved. And that you're not just coming to a life group, but you are really participating in and being the life group. That you are sharing, that you are putting out prayer requests, that you are getting vulnerable when God prompts you. But you're not just coming and sitting and like, oh, this life group isn't doing much. It won't do much if you don't participate. If you don't press in, if you don't share, if you don't ask questions, that's what that's where the that's where the that's where it's at. If you're not in one, I'm praying today, you'll go out to that table and you'll at least take that step. If you are in one, please press in. Just share a prayer request like that. Get vulnerable. It's okay. It's okay. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This scripture, if you read it, you might think, oh, that really doesn't fit to what we're talking about. I'm telling you, it's all over what we're talking about. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We are running a race called life, and it's a quick trip if you didn't know. And in this race called life, the, the author of Hebrews says, run it with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look up here. It is impossible. It is impossible to fix your eyes on the Son of God without hanging out with people of God. That is impossible. That is impossible, but when you do, I promise you this, you are one relationship away from changing the direction of your marriage. You are one confession away from overcoming the addiction that binds you. 
You are one connection away from changing the direction of your life forever. Because the people you hang out with will determine the story that God will tell in your life. People are the difference. Will you get vulnerable? Will you step in? Will you get honest? There's so many, there's so many, people here have so much to give and so much to love. I could tell you more stories in our life group just from this week. More people going through crazy things. I was so proud of some more people in our group. They reached out, they reached out, meeting, calling. They're desperate, they're hurting. And, and the life group is stepping in and loving them. I love that. I wrote this down. Anything good that I've done in my life, I believe, comes from God using the right people to influence me and make me better. Anything good I've done comes from God using the right people in my life to influence me and make me better. You're one connection away. You are one connection away. Jesus, he needed connections and he was the son of God. And Jesus connected with people in a, in a level that well, you and I can't, can't comprehend. But can I tell you a story about Jesus? People think, well, Jesus treated everybody equally. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He loved everybody equally. He didn't treat them equally. Jesus didn't. He didn't. He, I mean, there was people, he'd feed them and do different things. But Jesus didn't have 12,000 close followers that he really confided in. He had 12. And even of the 12, he had an inner three. Peter, James, and John that he really got intimate with. He didn't treat him equally. He loved him equally. You're not going to divulge all your stuff to a big group. And I pray to God you don't do it on social media. If you are, let us pray for you. Stop. Stop. But to an intimate group, maybe of 12 or of three or of one, I think about the way Jesus is invested in people, and I'm going to share something with you. He paid a price for it, but he would do it again. Think about who he invested in. That inner three, Peter, James, and John, he invested everything in them. What did Peter do? How did he pay him back? Betrayed him. Excuse me, denied him. The betrayal's coming. Peter would deny him. Jesus pours his heart out to Peter, and Peter denies him. Judas, Jesus would trust him with the finances of his ministry and with being one of his 12 best friends. And Judas would betray him. All the people that followed Jesus ultimately would leave him. Yet he kept pressing in. He kept loving. He kept leading. That story, if you've never heard the parable of the, the 99, how Jesus left the 99 for the one, I'll close with this. I thought about that this week and you could think, Man, the 99 sheep, but one's lost, and one's wayward, and one's gone. And Jesus forsakes the 99 and goes after the one. And you could look at that and say, Jesus, what about these people? What about those sheep? What about the 99? And the 99 could think, man, Jesus, you're just going to leave us out here? You're just going to leave us and go after that one? But I don't think the 99 were thinking that at all. What I bet the 99 were thinking is, oh my gosh, look at Jesus. He's going after the one. He's going after our lost friend. We're good. We're all together. Right? We're all connected. We're safe. We're in a pack. Jesus knows that. And I wonder if they thought, if Jesus will go after the one, I wonder if they thought to themselves, if I ever become that one, 
well, Jesus will go after me. The protection and provision that they must have felt knowing that their Lord would forsake the 99, knowing they're safe together as a pack, and go after the one. It's what he did for you and I. You want to talk connection? Connect to the king. That's why some of you are here today. So Jesus connected so much with you and I that ultimately he would go to that cross. At that cross, it was crazy. Not everybody left him, almost. He's hanging on the cross, and there's John, one of the 12, the only tw one of the 12 that was still there, along with Mary, a few Marys. One of them was Mary, Jesus' mom. Do you know how passionate your King Jesus was about relationships? He's hanging on a cross, bleeding out, hanging there for hours to take away our sins, to make us new, to bring us closer to him, to give you hope in your addiction, or hope in your marriage, or hope in your finances, or hope in the life and purpose that he has for you. He's bleeding out. And here's what he said, it's insane. He looks at John and says, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. So what is Jesus doing in the moment? He's connecting them. He's basically saying, John, will you love my mom? Will you take care of my mom? Mother, love John like you love me. That's what he did. Hanging, dying on a cross, and he's worried about connection. Up until the end, he's saying, love each other. Be there for each other. And sure enough, John would take Mary in, just like, just like the king commanded, and loved her until the end. Connection. I'm asking you to invest in relationships. Is there an element of risk? Well, yeah, 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 there is. Can I tell you that the benefits by far outweigh the risk? By far outweigh the risk. You got to get real to get redeemed. Believe it with all my heart. Jesus got real. The cross was real. As he hung on the cross, it was about as real as it gets. But something else that happened in that moment or happened in that era was real as well. Something that would happen three days later, an event that would take place that was as real as the crucifixion. Because three days later, after he died for you and I, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would burst forth from the tomb, defeating sin, defeating death. Why? So you and I would have hope today, hope tomorrow, and hope forever. I need someone to get loud. I need you to give God praise. If God's ever done anything good in your life, give him a shout. God, we thank you. God, we love you. God, thank you for not being done with us. He's not done with you. He's got more for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ says he died and rose. If you will wrap your head around that event called the resurrection, believe that that God, that man, that son of God rose from the dead and you surrender your life to him, you say, God, I don't even know what this means. I just don't wanna live my way anymore. I want your way. The Holy Spirit will go enter into you it's the greatest miracle that could ever happen in your life. Trust me, the Powerball is nothing, nothing compared to what God wants to do in your life today. Will you surrender everything to him? The greatest connection that you can have is him in you. But yet how many people walk around knowing about Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus? 
it's all the difference in the world. I want to pray for you, and I'll, I'll go over the action items one more time, that you would connect, because you're one connection away from changing the direction of your life forever. Will you connect in a life group? If you're connected in a life group, start getting real. Start getting raw. Start getting vulnerable. Man, start making a relationship with at least one person in there that you can go to, that you can get, just get real. It's the beauty. It's going to be hard. But we love each other. We're with each other. Jonathan and David, we're with each other. The second thing, will you surrender everything to Jesus? For some of you, it's a recommitment. For some, it's the first time you've ever really, really called on the name of the Lord and invited him into your life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why he would hang, bleed out, die, get beaten, whipped, convicted, accused of something he didn't do for you. And for you not to accept that gift, that would be insanity. God has so many good things for you. He wants to do something in and through you. Father, I lift you up. We glorify you today for the work that you've already done in the hearts of your people. Your Holy Spirit is thick in your house, moving and working in people, through people. God, our job is to receive it. Our job is to respond to it. You do, you've already done the work. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try to chase it. You're here. You're meeting us here today. God, I pray for everybody that they'll step into a connection, that they'll stop drifting maybe in and out of church and thinking that's gonna change them. If that's all they do, it won't. It, it, it'll be a start, but there's so much more you have for them that they'll invest in a relationship, in a life group, and really get real in it. That's where the beauty happens. That's where life change happens. And God, for the people that need to surrender everything to you today, I pray it happens right now. I pray that they will give everything to you, trust you with every area of their life. If they do, Father, you'll blow them away in ways they can't dream or imagine. I know it. I've seen it. I see it every weekend. I see it every day. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and we all say, amen.